0: Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Stromsky. This week, I talk to the talented Nikki Smedley. You might know her better by her character's name, Lala, from the hit 90s children's television series, Teletubbies. More recently, she has been helping with choreography on the popular Netflix show, Coco Melon. We talk about what her audition was like, what it was like when the show started taking off, and what she's been doing since. Enjoy. Today I have with me is Nikki Smedley. How are you doing? On your side of the pond, obviously.
1: Yeah, um, we're good, you know, in this sort of entirely desperate, the world gone mad kind of way.
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's funny you say that just because i I don't know when i was thinking about this maybe like a couple weeks ago and it's like is it ever going to like get back to some normalcy and it it just seems like we just keep on getting like worse and worse it's not going back to like there's always going to be some high level of panic and maybe that's the news or maybe that's like just people are getting crazier because of i don't know it's it's hard to explain
1: I think it's wisest just to concentrate on the immediacy, right here, right now, and the next kind of hour. If that's okay, then, <laughs> then that probably stop you going completely crazy.
0: <laughs> so, I guess I, this was so hard for me to stop because you were you were literally a telltubby. I and I don't know how to to start this conversation. Just because. Oh, that's
1: how you start. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: i i think my main question is i i think i read up on how you actually interviewed for the the uh the role can you kind of i guess talk to me on that like how was the experience for that
1: i've been um i've been a performer dancer mostly a bit of singing a bit of comedy and all this kind of thing but ages and ages and ages and um i was kind of successful in every way apart from financially and also i was getting quite old you know i I'd, I'd turned 30. And sort of thought, right, oh, I'm ready for something new. And I just saw this advertisement in the trade paper in the stage that said, artists with stamina required for a new children's television program. And then there was a couple of sentences, something like, um, people with unusual backgrounds or personalities, particularly welcome. And I thought, that's an odd thing to put in. Maybe they will employ me. <laughs> So um, I applied and I got, yeah, called up for the audition. Um, We we were asked to prepare a three minute piece for uh, three year old children and also a three minute comedy piece for adults. Um, And I had this kind of mad table from one of my dance pieces. It's like this big plywood disc that went around my, my middle. And uh, it needed a bit of zhuzhing, it has been in my shed for a while. And I thought, I'll do that and I'll write a little ditty kind of thing about being the table and being, I am the table. I am in love with the chair, but the chair doesn't care for woe is me, little thing. Um, and strangely enough, they seemed to really love that. <laughs> and then that was like, obviously there were loads and loads and loads of people auditioning at the beginning, and then it gradually got whittled down. Um, and the first audition was in. October I think and it was just before Christmas I got the call to say I had the job yay excellent Christmas present
0: yeah that's awesome so I guess just starting out uh what did what did your family think when when you showed them basically what your costume looks like and what you were going to doing
1: well it all came in kind of bits and starts you know um we didn't so they weren't hello and here you are and this is the entire concept and this is your costume and this is what we're going to ask you to do you know and that was lovely because because we were there at the very beginning we were sort of hands on so we had a chance to develop our own characters and so forth but i do remember um i took and it was also shrouded in an immense amount of, of secrecy you know we weren't allowed to tell anybody anything about anything but i did um show my mum and dad a little piece of footage of us rehearsing the dances in the very early stages. And I remember my dad asking me, so what little gimmick or trick will you do to make sure that you're everyone's favourite? And I, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, no one can everyone's favourite. But anyway, dad, I thought I'd just be the best <laughs> I could possibly be. And that's really all I've got. Um, and that is what I did. I did throw myself into it entirely. Um, partly because I was so impressed with Anne Wood and Andy Davenport who invented mm-hmm. Teletubbies and they were so full of integrity and love for the child and I couldn't believe like it was about the third audition in fact Anne came in and, and talked to us we hopefuls talked to us about her concept and what she was hoping to do and I just remember thinking god what a way to identify a niche. And I literally at that point thought, this is going to be huge. And then I really wanted the job. But yeah, having met Anne, I just thought I really, really, really want to work for this woman. Um, And I found her so inspiring. I just wanted to do the best I could. And she cared so much about the children. She made you care. You know, that you, ha- you were doing this thing for a child who would be on the other side of a television screen looking for some silliness and fun and friendly love.
0: That's funny that... From what you were saying at the beginning, it kind of reminds me of getting into a relationship with someone that you don't completely like you don't show them the Teletubby outfits at the very beginning, you know what I mean, like they didn't want to unpack everything at you at first, obviously, because you said they slowly kind of told you guys the details, let you work with your kind of perspective on it, your characters.
1: Well it evolved you know I mean they had a kind of basic thing at the very start it was called Teleteddies um, mm. and they had to change the name because it was some copyright issue or somebody else had used it and they had you know kind of storyboard proposal that they'd taken to the BBC and things but you know as things developed and as of course they cast us and we bought our own personalities and that altered a little bit how they thought about it and as we worked together, the whole thing, you know, evolved. The, co- the look of the costume was in place, but, you know, we had drawings first of all, and then we had, like, the underneath layer. Then we had, like, the baby girl, then we had the head, so that it kind of came through yeah. and through as Nikki Lyons the, and theme made the costumes.
0: And from when, I, from when I saw what you guys, what you did, the interview online, it must, I can't even imagine how hot that was, and you said you had long days. I mean... Yeah, what? yeah,
1: we work 11-hour um, days, so with an hour for lunch. So, um, I mean, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be in the costume the entire time because you weren't in every single script, but it was really blinking hard work. And through the summer, you know, just in in kilos and kilos of <laughs> fun fur with not much air. No, I mean, it, unbelievably stifling. Um, and of course, at the beginning, everyone's in a mad panic and they don't know whether it's going to be successful. And inevitably, we were behind before we'd even started. So, you know, there was just the pace was really um, um, relentless. But and then, you know, as things started in the second year and the third year, things would ease up. We got more used to what we were doing. The whole thing became more of a, you know, finally oiled machine yeah. <laughs> and Then we were able to sort of look I felt a bit better but the first year was insane
0: and another thing i didn't realize until I, I i read is the fact that this was all done it was all done basically in a greenhouse outside because you guys were were you guys actually in a type of dome or was it just open air
1: yeah no it was all real the Teletub- Teletub- land existed Exactly as it does on the screen, with that giant dome and with all that landscaping around it, and then outside of that was just rural England farmland. So it was—I mean—which was magical. We just went to this amazing place to go to work every day. It was just fantastic. And And I worked when they um, when they rebooted it in 2014, and I was involved in in that in the casting and sort of, you know, getting them all up to speed in the way of tub. Um, But they were indoors. They were all CGI and they strut in a studio. And I remember there was like a part of me that thought, well, you haven't got all the great long distances we used to travel. You're just in this little soundstage and you haven't got any hills to run up and down and you haven't got any rain and heat to worry about. But on the other hand, you know, they were just in the soundstage and it does not have the same magic as we had you know being able to actually kind of be there in this wonderful environment Mm
0: -hmm. did you did you feel like you had a secret identity like after two or three years i mean you guys were (laughs) big and you were just walking around town you know what i mean like you weren't you you had a you had a you got a suit on so uh you couldn't yeah, have the uh, same pool.
1: that's right that was funny I mean a lot of people were kind of they go oh what a shame you know you're so you're so popular around the world and no one knows who you are but I you know I kind of like that <laughs> that you could get on with your normal life and you know like things like and that first after we were broadcasting it and the whole thing just really took off and I'd be in Toys R Us shopping for you know my nephew's Christmas presents and things, or oh, toys are me, as I like to call it that year. <laughs> and There would be children there sort would going, oh, do I want to Lala or do I want to pub? And I'd be leaning over behind them going, have the la la, she's the one you love best. <laughs> but it was fantastic. And you'd hear people talking and children playing, Teletubbies, you know, in the park and things with absolutely no idea who you were. It was a treat being able to be in disguise by not wearing anything yellow.
0: And did you guys ever, like the four of you, ever just go out to the pub after work and just have beer? And not in costume. Oh, (laughs) yeah, obviously not in costume.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we were. I mean, there was the four of us, obviously. And then the rest of the crew, there was probably about 45 of us all together who spent eight months of the year in in a field. So we were a really close-knit crew, you know. And so mm-hmm. yeah, Thursday night, Thursday night, if we had the energy, Thursday night we'd go out and um have a drink. Sometimes play five-side football on a Wednesday night. <laughs> it was really chummy, friendly bunch, you know, it was love, really, really lovely. And still before I was writing while uh, well, I was writing my book, my memoir about it. I got in touch with as many people as I could to say that I was doing it and did they mind and could I mention them by name and was there anything they didn't want me to say. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, oh, that's so fabulous. That's so great you're doing that. And several of them said, you know, it's 25 years later and I still have never had so much fun as I had on that shoot.
0: And that's your... Which is
1: lovely. And I think that came through. It Mm -hmm. came through in the program
0: and that's your your book book over the hills and far away right your memoir that's right yeah and the one thing i wanted to ask is i guess younger you let's say you said you were 30 when you uh when you basically auditioned at like 25 i guess basically after um after you you graduated from uni and all that stuff what were you imagining <laughs> for your life
1: yeah i did not graduate from uni
0: um,
1: <laughs> um I went to yeah I went to dance college but not for very long um I just went and worked and at 25 26 yeah I had my own dance company but um we were funny you know I mean I think there is quite a lot of of kind of dance is broader now and there's more acting and singing and different you know visual wonderment big costumes thing but at the time it was sort of you know it was quite po faced it was wear a brown leotard and make a spiky shape and we didn't really like that my company and i we were funny and um accessible we were the people that you know people poor old families would be dragged along to go and see it because somebody in the family really liked dance and then they come up afterwards and say i didn't really like dance but i really like you um and so i think I never saw a future for myself that was entirely dance-based, you know, and I always diversified and always did other things like that, a cabaret club and all of these different kinds of things. So, um, I mean, no, I didn't imagine I was going to be a giant yellow puppet (laughs) for six years of my life. But, you know, in a way, in a way it's not that surprising it doesn't seem like such a massive leap to me to end up doing that. And just having the openness, I think, you know, that's um, a bit of a family trait. Just sort of see what's around the corner. Put yourself out there and, and see what the universe has to offer. And go with what looks interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, makes sense. And more recently, uh, you were working as kind of helping with Coco Melon as a choreographer and stuff like that. what's your I guess your opinion of uh Teletubby equivalent type media for children today
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I still work for I'm Coco Melon's choreographer so all of the dance party Coco Melon things are are me and that's brilliant I really like that I really like doing that that's a lot of fun um and but apart from that I don't work so much with children's television anymore so I'm not terribly up to speed. Um, there are things that kind of catch my eye, and um, you know, when you get your pepper Pigs and so forth, and, and your Poke Pokey, po- and these sorts of things that I really liked. Um, I have never seen Paw Patrol. You know, I'm just—I don't have a young child around. Yeah, so I you have no really reason. Have an to yeah, yeah. Uh... But I think I think the influence of Teletubbies is still. There. I mean, it really it says a lot about the program that um, you know it's about to be broadcast by Netflix now that it has this longevity. That um, you know, I think there's something right about it to mm-hmm. still be there. And, but I think uh, it also opened up a conversation about the quality of product for children and what they're getting from their relationship with on-screen characters and so forth. And make people take it perhaps a bit more seriously. Um, I mean, obviously there were people working in children's television before us who did take it seriously and made really fantastic product. But there was like a wider world, um, suddenly sat up and took notice when Tubby's was so successful.
0: I Just thought of a great question. What was your favorite kid show? As when I was kid. a kid. Yeah.
1: When I was a kid. Um, I really liked I really liked all the Oliver Postgate stuff. Okay. Um and Peter Furmin. I loved Herbs was one of my favorites.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Clangers, Bagpuss, Bagpus, obviously. Um and then the stupidity. I don't know if you ever <laughs> have you ever seen Rhubarb and Custard, which was just a crazy animation. Um very English in its humour, I think. That was another favourite. <laughs> okay.
0: I was just thinking, like, what does what does the Teletubby watch when she was uh, younger?
1: <laughs> Horse racing with my dad, mostly. <laughs>
0: uh, so was there any big obviously when you got the, the gig to be a Teletubby, but was there any other big pivotal moments in your life that kind of made you stop and think about uh, big career moves or anything like that, like defining moments?
1: well i yeah i bet i have had some incredible moments um one of them was i danced in the bicentennial in the french bicentennial parade in paris um and they invited sort of squads of performers from any country that had had a revolution or a, a civil war um and that there was about 80 of us Went over from the UK. The whole thing was choreographed by a wonderful woman called Lee Anderson, who um, came to fame running a company called the The Trumless. And the whole thing was overseen by Jean-Paul Good, you know, the guy behind Grace Jones's initial success. Hmm. And it was just the most extraordinary thing. We'd go and rehearse and like air bases and race race tracks again. And then when we did it, we danced down the Champs-Élysées, we danced two and a half miles down the Champs-Élysées. And at the beginning, when we came round, we were all queued up in Avenue Foch, and we came round the Arc de Triomphe and looked down the Champs-Élysées. And it was like people wallpaper. There was just people everywhere. There were two and a half million people out on the street that day. But we just danced, we danced their their joy of being French. It was the most extraordinary experience. And I do remember thinking, if I just drop dead now, I think I've made a pretty good fist of of it so far. Yeah, that really sticks in my head. Um, That was a real treat, yeah. And singing, um, playing on the Pyramid stage at Glastonbury, that was pretty fabulous, Um, even though that never really that, that's really funny because I did try hard in my youth to become a pop star and sang with various bands and so forth. And, you know, get signed and get dumped and you know, nothing much would happen. And then I put on a giant yellow suit and got a number one and a double platinum disc on the wall. Crazy old life, maker. <laughs> How yeah. it makes you dreams. Through.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a good move. <laughs> where, where do you think you would see yourself in five years?
1: Well, I hope I've finally done my house up, frankly, Uh, (laughs) um, in five years. I think there's something in me, like I've been, I just, I don't know where it comes from, because I don't come from a theatrical family, but I've always just wanted, right from the year dot, wanted to perform. And even when I thought, oh, well, I've had enough of that now, and I go and do something else, I'll go teach for a bit or do something and do some conference I just end up on the stage I can't help myself you know and you think it's all over now I'm still touring a one woman show Nikipedia. um so I think in some way shape or form I will still be performing um I really enjoy writing so I want to do more of that um and hopefully yeah hopefully still moving hopefully maybe you know maybe I'll still be choreographing for Cocoa Melon who knows
0: but. yeah that's awesome okay we've got into the last question Ooh. what is something that your parents did that you'd like to pass on to the next generation or try to promote and what is something you're trying you would try to avoid or wouldn't want to pass on
1: okay well like everyone you know I had a kind of mixed one. <laughs> Well, like most people, I should say, kind of mixed up, bringing some good and some not so good. But I think the most wonderful thing about my family, I have a younger sister, there's just the two of us, mum Dad, dad, um, who did stay together um, until my dad died. So that's pretty impressive. But there was a lot of laughing, you know, and dad really instilled in us is if you can, if you can possibly laugh, if you can possibly hang on to your sense of humour, that is the best thing you've got. Um, and that's, I think that's the most brilliant thing I've taken away from, from my parents is, you know, at all times that you can possibly manage, keep your sense of humour, keep a sense of humour. don't take yourself or anything else too seriously. You know, you've just got to be, got to have a sense of humour about it. So that would be advice or sort of whatever that I would pass on to future generations okay. um and in terms of not I think um it's funny actually because I I saw my sister yesterday and she was talking to me about how she never felt really heard as a child you know and I kind of I could see where she was coming from they were quite old-fashioned my parents you know um not the same sort of child-centric family that maybe a a nice middle-class upbringing would give you these days so i think that was the thing really that um yeah not feeling taking not being taken seriously not being listened to that kind of thing that i think um I mean I had to get on the stage and show off to go hey (laughs) now can you pay attention to me (laughs) Um, so yeah that and all the work that I've done with children you know since then in educational or or entertainment based um, situations I think that's the most important thing is to listen listen to them you know because they're not idiots (laughs) little people are clever so, you know, that all they want is just for you to take, yeah, take what they're saying seriously, listen to them, pay attention. Um, so I try and do that myself with the children that I come in to contact with.
0: Oh, that's great. That's probably the first time I've got that type of response, just listen. So that, oh.
1: that's good. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'll probably try to do that more. I've got two kids right now. But that's it. Thank you very much. I I learned so much
1: you're very welcome it's been a pleasure I'm glad that the um the gods of Wi-Fi stayed with us
0: well thanks again for being on the podcast I really appreciate it. I mean it's amazing to have such a high level star especially from my childhood
1: <laughs> I don't really feel like a high level so I would say I'm not really famous I just had one really famous outfit <laughs> uh,
0: thank you I-
1: It's been been my my day,
0: my, my month.
1: No, it's been, it's been a joy. Thank you very much. Cheerio.
0: (laughs) If you liked this week's episode of people more interesting than me, please follow me on Apple podcasts. So you won't miss out on more episodes like these.